Podcast Revolution Network presents The Way with Noah. Good evening, everyone. Always a pleasure to talk to really awesome people doing amazing work across the country. Um, This week is a really impactful week. There's a lot going on in terms of education equity, and I'm joined by four amazing people tonight to talk about some of the things that are going on. You guys are probably hearing this actually in the morning, but we're talking on Monday, May 14th. There was a press conference at 9 a.m., uh, talking about the new Brown versus Board of Education. So I'm going to let my guests all introduce themselves as, long, as well as the organizations they're representing. Um, the Journey for Justice Alliance, you guys may have heard me talk about this before. Uh, you know, Michael um, Redwine and I had did an interview with um, folks from the Alliance of Quality of Education out of New York, which is a part of J4J. And now I have four amazing education advocates to talk to tonight. So I will start with Jonathan. Can you please introduce yourself, your organization, and just a little bit about what brought you all together? Absolutely. Uh, my name is uh, Jonathan Stiff, and I am the National Director for the Alliance for Educational Justice. Uh, AEJ is a national network of 29 youth-led and intergenerational groups um, working to dismantle the school to prison pipeline. Um, we came together in 2008, um, really spotting an, an opportunity with the shift in the federal landscape um, and kind of 20 years at our back of author- organizing um, and, and also with the, with, at that time was the pending reauthorization of No Child Left Behind. So really came together, all of our organizing experience to really try to see if we could push um, some work, and since then we have uh, kind of done that, and then also in that merged and leading a fight around uh, police getting police out of schools after some work we did around the assault at Spring Valley um, in 2015. So that's kind of who we are. We're also a founding member and part of the J4J coordinating committee. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Um, next, I have Rancha. Hi, everyone. I'm Rancha Dickerson. I am a parent from Camden, New Jersey. I hail in Camden, New Jersey, but I'm also the national organizer for Journey for Justice Alliance. And I am excited to be on this call this evening with you. I know and all of my beautiful comrades on the phone. We all um, are a part of the uh, J4J Alliance, and we uh, really work hard on being um, advocates and organizers more so for the work that has to be done nationally. The J4J is an alliance grassroots community-based organization. It's parent-led, youth-led. Um, it's in about 29, almost 30 cities across the country, from the west to the east to the north to the south. And um, we're excited to have so many cities that's on board um, just to be able to build uh, the, the, the momentum of uh, grassroots organizing at its best. Um, we are, our members are all based building groups. They're, they're organized to win community-driven alternatives to privatization and dismantling public in the dismantling public school system. And we're just trying to just stomp out um, inequity like a cockroach. That's our job. 
I love it. Uh, Jasmine, <laughs> you're up next. Hi, I'm Jasmine Gripper. Um, I'm a former teacher, and I'm currently the legislative director at the Alliance for Quality Education of New York. We are a statewide advocacy group that organizes parents and community members and some students around the fight for equity here in New York State. Uh, but we, what we know is that the same people who are trying to close schools in New York or who are dismantling public education in New York are trying to dismantle public education in cities across the state, which is why we're really happy to partner with the Journey for Justice Alliance so that community groups from different cities and different states were all coming together to share our lessons learned, to share our victories, and to make sure we're pushing back against those who are trying to come against our public schools. Thank you, Jasmine. And last but certainly not least, we have Johnny. Johnny Lackner, and I'm co-founder with Sharon Smith of Pulse, which is Parachute about the local school education. We are from Newark, New Jersey, but we work locally, statewide, and nationally, and we are part of the coordinated committee of Journey for Justice. Um, our um, goal is to um, organize parents, and we're beginning to organize with students also um, in Newark and across the state as we um, join um, with the We Choose um, New Jersey Coalition which we are part of, and we organize parents, students, and we train parents and students on educational issues, and we fight for equality. And um, one of our highlights is that in 2014, we have two big highlights. In 2014, we actually um, boycotted Newark Public Schools um, for two weeks, and then in also 2014, we filed a civil rights office, a civil rights complaint against your public students, and now we'll do the women, and I'll give you more details. Thank you. So those are four awesome people that we're sitting down and talking to right now. And one of the really um, amazing things that, that as a collective has happened is that there was a national equity assessment report that was released today, actually, Monday, May 14th, um, and, and it has to do with failing Brown versus Board of Education. And, like, just, just for simplicity of conversation, we're going to kind of just do a round robin across for everyone. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, the new Brown versus Board of Education, this report, um, and, and some of the, 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 the victories and efforts that have led up to this moment, the culmination of this report happening. So I'll start with Jonathan. And then we'll Absolutely. Um, yeah, where do we begin? I, I, I mean, the, re, the report really begins to um, really put the focus um, on the question of equity uh, 64 years after Brown v. Board of Ed. Um, and for the alliance and how we enter it, again, we come in kind of 10 years um, as an alliance, 20 years. For, plus, for many of our groups, have been organizing around education justice and actually trying to fulfill or uh, uh, push local and state governments to fulfill the mandate of Brown versus Board. And that has looked like a variety of campaigns from school funding to college access 
to most, re- most recent iteration around the school to prison pipeline and looking at discriminatory discipline um, to even some emerging work that we're doing around police out of schools. And it comes out of the, the experience we've seen that, that the privatization uh, movement has brought against black and brown communities and black and brown youth in their schools through the massive school closings and fights that happened in 2012 to help uh, give shape and formation to Journey for Justice as well as uh, uh, other national networks like the Alliance to Reclaim Our Schools. Um, and even for Journey for Justice coming out of the, the work around sustainable schools, uh, the fights early on and wins around getting uh, sustainable community schools as a fifth option uh, to, to race to the top when privatization was the only uh, answer that, that was being posed for school transformation. Um, to, uh, I would think even the, the diet hunger strike and the work that happened there and those parents really putting uh, a fight in to save the last open enrollment school in Chicago and what it meant to make that a national fight and really to ignite um, the question around privatization, the impact that it's had on our community. So, um, so that's kind of the equity report kind of walks into all of that history and really, you know, makes the assertion that schools, that communities and students haven't, failed, but that, in fact, uh, government and education legislators have failed students, right? And one of the ways, and the report begins to look at it, is one of the ways we can look at that and make that distinction is looking at the course offerings that are offered to black and brown students. And for us, uh, we're clear looking at the equity assessment that our students want courses and they get cops instead, um, and that, um, again, begins to unearth the separate and unequal education that continues to happen in our schools. Francia? Francia? Yeah, I'm here. I'm with you. Yeah, Jonathan, you nailed it. I mean, the um, to, and it's actually, the day was just a historical day. We were at the um, Supreme Court in Washington, D.C., you know, holding our, our press conference to make, to kind of smack, you know, this uh, privatization and this movement um, of, you know, uh, building this so-called illusion of school choice or the scam of school choice in its, in its face, you know, to smack it down. And we were had an opportunity to really unleash why we, we set a failing Brown versus Board. You know, 60, almost 60, it was about 64 years ago, almost 65 years ago, there was a mandate that this was supposed to happen, right? And then it never, and every, every opportunity that we were trying to achieve it, there were white towns and white communities shutting doors and going against the mandate. You know, you know in Prince George's County, as it said in the report, uh, white mothers said they don't they want their children to be in school with black babies or black babies. So they, they made the conversation of this is my school choice and that's where the concept comes from. It comes from an a, a parent a, a parent line of racism that has gone on through our country for centuries. So um with the report we have chosen uh, right now twelve cities that we um just kind of focused on, as Johnson said, laser made, put a laser focus on and just, just concentrate on these cities and just do course comparison as one phase of what we're going through with the equity equity assessment and how that'll unleash the fact that Brown versus Board was never honored, right? How it unleashes the fact that our children have suffered for so many years, how it unleashes the fact that my grandmother and my mother can still speak to the fact that they've never felt that they received a proper education in public schools. And still today, here we are with our children still being treated the same exact way. You can just, you know, erase the year and put the situation in it and say this, this is happening. It's still happening modern day. So the 12 cities that we um, – looked at was, you know, Camden, New Jersey, uh, Milwaukee, Denver, Chicago, Dallas, Dayton, Jackson, Wisconsin, New Orleans, Newark, Oakland, and Patterson. That's just a start. Our goal is to get 30 cities. 
to be able to show not only course comparison issues and disparities, but also discipline issues, things that are happening just in only black and brown schools. How is it that these things are happening over here in our public schools that are serving black and brown children, but we go to two miles over or three miles over, just a block back, and you see that these children who are in a more affluent school district who have higher um, percentages of white children are receiving much more or much better education you know, so to speak. So um, for the equity assessment that we, we pushed out today and, 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 given, and given way to the Brown versus the Felony Brown versus Board, I believe Journey for Justice is creating a space for everyone nationally to say enough is enough, okay? We see it. It, it smells. It's funky. Um, it stinks of racism. It stinks, it stinks of classism, and we're tired of it, right? And we want to be, be sure that we're not squirming or shrinking in the conversation of we are talking about equity, period, the end. We're talking about how is it that you can see these things and you still do not respect the fact that our children deserve better. As Jonathan said already, where is the opportunity for inspiration for black and brown children? Where are those opportunities that in our, in our school districts, right? Why is it that our children, our buildings have to be beat up and then look as if they're selling, but then you turn around and create a charter network or any kind of other network of education to go against what was already given to us? Why is that our children cannot walk to their public schools in their communities? How come our neighborhoods can't have flourishing and great public schools and places where they, they can be institute of great education for our babies? Why is that not possible? So this report comes at such a great time because racism is screaming in America. The ignorance is blaring in America, and we need to be in front of this. And that's one thing I credit Journey for Justice for being is in front of it. We will not stop. We will not rest until all of our babies, all of them, all of them receive justice. Yes. Um, this is Jasmine. <laughs> go ahead, Jasmine. Yeah, go ahead. I'll, I'll... I'll add on to that. So I think what's you know, really important is that when we look at our schools, oftentimes schools in black and brown communities are labeled as failures, right? They look at the outputs and they say, look at the achievement gap. And no one goes back to reflect about what's the opportunity gap. And so that's what this report does. We don't just look at the outcomes of what's happening in the school, uh, but you have to first look at what the inputs, what are the opportunities uh, children are given. And what we see is that if you go to a white affluent public school, you're offered a wide range of opportunities from courses to extracurricular activities, to music, sports, to science and technology, and all a whole host of things. But if you go to a mostly black school, uh, you're not offered the same opportunities. You actually have fewer course offerings, fewer access to um, uh, um, extracurricular activities, and oftentimes you're in schools that are focused on test prep and not a quality, holistic approach to education. And so this report really uh, unpacks what that looks like for children and how the opportunity gap across the United States is continuing to grow, and we're not going to uh, be uh, blind about what the opportunity gap is, is that opportunity gap is denying opportunity to black and brown children. And so even though New York State isn't one of the key cities in the report, uh, New York has some of the most segregated schools in the country, and most people think segregation is just a southern issue, but here we are in New York State where segregation uh, is running rampant in our schools, and what we see is that schools that serve predominantly black and brown children are not getting the resources that they need. Um, and so what we see is that our states are not fulfilling their obligation uh, to be the great equalizer and fully fund our schools. And no one wants to fund schools in black and brown and poor communities, and what they continue to offer us is experiments, experiments right? We'll experiment with your children and offer you charter schools. We'll experiment with your children and offer you virtual schools. And they keep experimenting and offering our kids these failing options that do not work. And no one wants to try what we know works. The research already shows us what works, and what works is equity. What works is investing the most in the students who need the most. Uh, what works is making sure that we are integrating classrooms, not simply because black 
children learn better because they're sitting next to white children, but because our, our system is systemically racist, that black children don't get a good education unless they're also white bodies in the schools, right? So we want to undo the systemic racism in education. We want to make sure black and brown children have access to opportunities. Uh, we want to make sure we have good quality schools in their neighborhood, that they don't have to get on a bus at 5 a.m. and commute for an hour at six years old to get to what we want to call a good school. Uh, good schools can happen in every neighborhood if we have access to resources and opportunities. And so when you look at the charts in this report, you see clearly that the opportunities aren't there for our children, and we haven't fulfilled the obligation of Brown versus Board of Education. So, so I, think it's, I think it's back to, um, as we said, um, when we started the Week 2 um, campaign, the illusion of inclusion. And um, I think that um, the report is excellent. I think that it's definitely um, an eye-opener, not to us, but to the people who come in our neighborhoods and try to control us. Um, and I think and that's good. That's great. Um, as um, the parent leader and uh, the lady who spoke today, both um, all of the speakers and also um, – Ms. Yolanda and Rosie, the, the, you know, the parents and the a big organization that work towards to make sure that, you know, that our kids get the best and get the best resources. So I think um, I, I, I definitely am enthused and excited and looking forward to just um, continuing to work and working with J4J to do this forward. So in thinking about um, just moving forward and just thinking about some of this work that has been going on um, and some of the work you all have been involved in, thinking about this new this, this, this assessment that came out and some of, we talked about it a little bit, I, I heard mention a diet which really warmed my heart. I have not lived there in a long time, but I am a product of CPS, Chicago Public Schools. I graduated from Kimmel Academy. So um, I remember following um, a few years ago where the diet hunger strike was happening. Um, one of the things that I did uh, my first year out of law school was I worked for an organization that did, did uh, public education and public housing law and policy. And one of the things that I was tasked doing was tracking school closures in and around communities that are now redeveloped public housing sites. And one of the things I looked at was the Stateway Corridor in Chicago, for those familiar with Chicago, and all the massive school closures and all the displacement that happens to kids. And we looked at some of the high school closures too. So a lot of the work you guys are working on and, and listening to you talk, I'm like, wow, like this is just really great to hear that there's this collective of people who are digging in on these issues. Can you talk just a little bit more specifically about um, – you know, some of the issues with uh, developing sustainable community schools or the fight for local control as it has existed in some of your different experiences and the work that you've been doing, either as a parent or a teacher um, or with your current organization? Yeah. Um, I mean, the issue of community control, I think, is really um, at the heart of the report in a lot of ways. Um, one, you know, what we're walking into uh, this year in 2018 is the 50th anniversary of Ocean Hill-Brownsville, 
which was, again, a national fight around a, a high school in New York um, and, and parents and black parents, black and brown parents, uh, fighting for community control of that school, gaining community control, and then having it stripped away by the state. And uh, kind of since then, we've seen uh, kind of the fight for community control get replaced by corporate control. And so um, most of the groups, the youth organizing groups um, in the alliance, um, you know, have run up against the or live in school uh, school districts now that don't have uh, electoral electoral elect, elected school boards uh, exist under mayor control or state control, um, and that has only exasperated the the uh, the challenge of school discipline, um, the kind of the not, and not stopping the kind of racist outcomes that have come from that, and so the idea around uh, a lot of the organizing is, you know, at what level can we have some levels of control and, you know, control and for young people at the level that they exist that is around school discipline and really is wrapped up in the right uh, in the fight around restorative justice and can they have a, the ability to control, can community have control over how its students are disciplined, um, how it addresses uh, conflict, how it addresses uh, racial inequalities and um, that are playing out in our schools, right? And so, um, yeah, just uh, the fight is, is kind of core and I think even, again, part of how we arrive um, at this moment, right, um, has been really a failure to honor the kind of international human right of of all people and parents to determine the quality kind of education their child receives, and also for young people to receive an an, an, uh, uh, an education that you know that they are determined and that's culturally responsive to them. Yeah, yeah. So I, I I totally agree with Jonathan, and then um and that that's kind of where we are, where it kind of landed and gave birth to the We Choose campaign. Like you know the local control fight, um the, the seven pillars that we made behind the uh, We Choose campaign. And Noah, you mentioned, you mentioned the diet hunger strike. All these um, tactics that we had to use to show that how important education is for us, and how the reason the reason why we need our own democracy and our local control, and how we have to build sustainable community schools. These are the reasons why a campaign like the We Choose campaign was was made to be able to help launch an understanding of uh, we need to choose what we want in our community. So the We Choose campaign is a national grassroots, black and brown-led, multiracial partner campaign that focuses on coalition building as a, a method to unite our fight. And then in that fight, we nationalized the local work. So over the course of a year, we have been we did uh, community town halls in about, about 30, 30 cities across the country. We have about 3,000, about 300,000 or 400,000 supporters, and we have a network of over 3 million. In that network, we have national supporters. We have J4J Alliance. We have um, Alliance for Quality Education, Alliance to Reclaim Our Schools, Alliance for Education Justice, Badass Teachers, Dignities in School Campaign, Network for Public Education, Save Our Schools, Advancement Project, um, Institute for Democratic Education in America, the Metro Center, Moral Mondays, Moms Rising, the Texan Organizing Project. We can name many, many more have joined on, but the purpose was for us to, to top, stop working these separate silos to unite the fight. So it was often that we were saying the same things. We were in different corners. You know, so we're talking about one group talking about local control, one group talking about zero tolerance, one group talking about a national equity system, one group talking about a moratorium on charter schools expansion, right? We came together and said, why don't we put this all under one united fight and build our power like a big ball of fire and smash 
this privatization movement. Like Jonathan said, it, be, it, it also turns into a corporation. So these people are building businesses inside of our communities and then, and, and then never asking us, what do we want? Who's asked the parent, what do they want, right? So we came up with seven pills for a platform. We want to, you know, create a moratorium on, on charter expansion um, and school privatization, create 10,000 sustainable community schools, end zero tolerance policies, right? Um, do a national equity assessment. We check that off the list, right? Step, stop the attack on black teachers and uh, mayoral and appointed state control and school boards, and then stop over-testing our, our babies. So in the We Choose campaign, it kind of lays out where we like to move the future of education, how we like it to go, right? And, and, and through, the, through the leadership of G2 Brown and through the, the, the knowledge of all these great organizers who are on his phone, it's been able to grow so rapidly and so quickly and be able to give, give birth to a, a, a report like today. It was through our research and research and policy committee off the, from the We Choose campaign that were digging deep into these school districts and saying, why is this happening? And then they had the data to prove it. And we know that in black communities, the biggest issue that we have is that we don't, we don't own the data. But right now, look who's doing the data for us. We have black researchers and white researchers coming together in unity and saying we need to start figuring out how do we put the numbers and showing what, we, what, what, what the truth are. Let's put the facts on the table. We're not talking about emotions. We're not talking about how I feel. We're talking about facts. 100% facts, and that's how local control is one. That's how sustainable community school fights are one. That's how we get culturally responsive education, you know, curriculums passed inside of school districts. These are, it's because of campaigns like this and because of the fight of grassroots organizations. Yes, you know what's really amazing is that, uh, you know, corporations, the hedge fund millionaires, the 1%, Wall Street have putting big money behind uh, destroying public education and promoting privatization as an alternative. Uh, but parents and community groups have come together, and we've been fighting back, and we've been successful, right? We've been pushing it back slowly uh, but surely. And so when we have our victories, um, some of them are really little, uh, we definitely want to celebrate them and lift them up. And so like the diet hunger strikers, you know, saving their, their open enrollment public school was really important. But, like, that's what you see, parents who are putting their bodies on the line to say we've given all we've got uh, to make sure that our kids have access to high-quality public schools. Uh, in New York, we had parents who walked 150 miles from New York City to Albany to demand that our state uh, fulfill its own school funding formula that we won in a court case over uh, 10 years ago. Uh, that the court said uh, New York State was denying students their uh, right to a sound basic education, which was their constitutional right by underfunding our public schools, and that the state was supposed to uh, infuse money into our schools, and the state has still not obliged uh, to its own fair school funding formula. Uh, we've seen in New York City uh, a, mo a real recent victory when we've been pushing back about what's happening in our classroom. There was a, a, a white teacher who was teaching a lesson on slavery who stepped on a student's back and have all the black kids sit on the floor and said, how does it feel? What does it feel like to be a slave? And we're like, what are you doing to our students? This, is not, this shouldn't be happening in our schools. And thanks to that fight, uh, we won. Uh, New York City is putting in uh, multi-million dollars over a few years to anti-bias training for educators, to culturally responsive education coming into the classroom, uh, to updating and changing its curriculum. Uh, we, we're changing codes of conduct across the state uh, to make sure that they're, we're ending the zero tolerance 
homeless policies, what we see is that Parkland happens and Columbine happens in these white suburban school districts, but black and brown kids end up at all the schools with metal detectors, with more police officers, um, and the over-policing that already happens in our community, now having over-policing in our classrooms and in our schools where kids are issued summonses or being suspended for really minor infractions. And so we're fighting back constantly uh, and pushing back against this racist agenda and saying we want to see the community schools, the public schools that we want. We want parent and local control. We want ourselves reflected and our culture reflected in our classroom curriculum. We want teachers who look like the students. Uh, it's really important that we are recruiting a diverse uh, body of teachers and not just bringing uh, mostly white, unqualified young teachers into our classrooms. Uh, and so we're really fighting back uh, against the billionaires uh, who are putting so much money into, like, school board races and to, to buying off our politicians on both sides, Democrats and Republicans, to promote this really false narrative that has been detrimental to our public schools. And what we've been doing is reclaiming that, reclaiming what education should be and reclaiming what a community school should look like, uh, that parents should be in charge. Like, parents are the experts of their children, and therefore parents should be determining what happens in our schools. Um, and so slowly but surely we're winning fights, but we still have to win the war, and so we still have a long way to go. So I think with, within um, New Jersey, I think we have a lot of victories. I think that in Patterson, Jersey City, um, Camden, Newark, um, that just got back local control in those four cities after, <laughs> you know, some, over 23 and 27 years of fight with this. So we just got back lower control, and we're working collectively. That's one thing that this campaign and duty for justice and stuff is doing is building a statewide network. So we're not in just one little silo all by ourselves. We're, we're working together. And we're also um, bringing and, and, and waking up parents and, and teachers and, and collectively around sustainable community schools and what they want as, um, you know, our Helens are saying. So I'm, you know, I think that those are the victories that we're we're having, and we and that's just the beginning. Um, that's just the beginning. We know there's not there's not more that we know that we're going to be able to do, and and collectively we'll win. And that's something that we can all say we can win. Y'all are amazing. Like, I'm learning so much, and I really feel like, you know, listeners will be getting a, getting a lot. Um, two other things I want to touch on before we uh, close out this conversation. Um, one thing had to do with, uh, you know, just thoughts, ideas about culturally responsive education, and then the second thing was, you know, counselors, not cops. Um, I think uh might have been Jasmine who touched on, you know, some of the issues we've seen every time in school shooting. We saw, you know, black students from Parkland, for example, uh, uh, really note that, no, 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 we don't want more cops in our schools because every time we add more cops to schools, we have, I remember when zero tolerance policies really became a, a bigger fixture of our, our disciplinary life um, my senior year of high school with Columbine. Um, and we had, you know, the paddy wagon on campus and stuff. And I remember, you know, being in Chicago, you know, on the south side, thinking, like, there are a lot of us, like, okay, you know, these white kids got shot over here. You know, that's sad, that's fine, but nobody cared about us until that happened. And now we have, 
you know, metal detectors. Now we have cops, and it has nothing. What happened in Columbine is not our reality. Our reality is when we go outside these doors and what might face us, you know, even standing on the bus stop, and no one's having those conversations about our safety. They're just looking at ways to already um, increase penalties or criminalize behavior, which they're already determining, you know, make us less than or less worthy than our white counterparts on the or wherever. So just wanted just a few thoughts from you all about, you know, counselors, not cops, and then as well as, while it's not exactly the same thing, culturally responsive education. So going back around again. Right. And, and they do actually go together in a lot of ways, um, at least for us um, organizing uh, to try to end the school to prison pipeline. Um, and, again, it's one of those things like uh, we know what works. I think, again, part of the beauty and the power of the report is it's clear public education doesn't fail white students. It only seems to fail black students. And in this day and time, we know what works and we'll, we'll, we'll educate and works, we'll educate black and brown youth. And uh, that is a black teacher, black and brown teacher with a, a black and brown, a culturally responsive curriculum. And there's research that supports that says that uh, black students do well under those kind of conditions as well as uh, white students as well. And so uh, I think, again, part of the challenge is then we understand that this isn't a, a moral fight. This isn't about, um, you know, some solutions that we're clear about what works and we're clear that governments have no intention of providing that unless we organize to make them do so. Um, and so for us, that's even, again, in the in the Cops and that Counselors piece, um, we have been working um, around uh, school policing since the assault at Spring Valley when uh, Shakar was uh, videotaped by another student, Nia Kenny, as she was, you know, choked and slammed by a school resource officer and have been tracking and responding to uh, these assaults since then. Um, and we've come to, you know, understand the, the demand around counselors, not cops, is really underneath that is a real pull on uh, how young people imagine what school should be they imagine places that are safe, that are sanctuary, um, and we're clear um, that the same cop that might shoot a young man, the same black student <laughs> uh, unarmed in the street is the same police officer that's there to greet him or her at the, at the beginning of the day in the school. And so um, part of that, is, you know, that call, that demand is about a fundamental shift in the relationship that schools play uh, and also indicative of the position that schools are now in, that they are, in fact, jails um, and they're not places of, of support, they're not places of sanctuary, uh, and they're not culturally responsive, right? And so just creating this, this huge push out that then sets the primer for what then comes in privatization. And so for us, there's a very clear center, center line around how all these forces converge to really rob um, a black child of its future and really steal uh, and exploit a community's heart, which is its young people. Yeah, I um, totally support that, and it's great. It's a great combination. I think that, that you can't speak of one without speaking of the other. Culturally responsive education, counselors, not cops. It's just it's so it's sad that we have to go through so many you know levels of trying to get people to understand that we need to see ourselves 
be of ourselves, be in spaces that are free for ourselves and be able to let our children expand and grow in those spaces. And that's something the Journey for Justice and the Reach campaign takes very, very seriously. And that, that takes me to the conference. Right now we're going to have our annual conference in Chicago at Diet High School. And um, at the conference, it's, a, it's going to be more of an a organic conference in the sense of we want to have opportunities to teach and also create circles of action, right, for people who want to know more about these topics. Like we say them a lot, we talk about them a lot, but talk to the average parent or to the average white person, to the average organizer, how do we break this down and be amongst the folks who are dealing with these? You know, Jonathan Stiff on the phone who deals with this every day, you know, in his, in, his, in his approach to dealing with young folks, right? So how do we get people to be in, at Jonathan's at, at his ear and, and, his, and his conversation and say, this is how I'm going to have a leadership discussion with you about how we have institution circles and building this, and then we're going to flip and do an action circle and put people to action and say, this is how we move this, right? This is how we can move these things to happen and to win these campaigns. And I think Jasmine mentioned it earlier, every win, every victory is like, uh, it's like us building a humongous crumb cake that we that we're that we're eating and chomping at, right? They're dropping crumbs of victories at us, and we're building this crumb cake off of these crumbs they're giving us. And everybody's going to eat well because my my crumb cake victory, my little crumbs are going to help you want to get your crumbs because that's what they give us. They give us crumbs. They say, "Here's a seat at the table. Take these crumbs." So um, as the J for J conference, we're going to be focusing. 100% on not just, you know, conference style, our basic way of doing things. We're going to get deep, put a pull up our sleeves and get deep into it. We have Senator Nina Turner. Um, she's going to be giving the keynote address and also our good brother, Yuhu Wells, will be giving another address on um, Sunday talking about low-hanging fruit. But it's important that we create spaces to organize and train at the same time we talk about these topics and how important it is for us from the top level as national people, national folks who are talking about it all over the country to bring it down and, and give the people and box it up into what a big pretty vote and take it back to your community and now go forth and teach on this and how do we build those campaigns in those communities and win those victories and grab those crumbs that they're going to keep offering us and we're going to continue to be smart and be very thoughtful and build a great crumb cake. So the national convention and national conference that's coming up this weekend will give an opportunity for us to to um, um, kind of indulge in these topics, like, you know, and make sure that people understand that we're not rushing anyone through this. We want everyone to know that we're here to help, support, and teach, train, and organize in the same aspect. Yeah, and I think there's, there's no accident that this report came out today, the same day as the Poor People's Campaign uh, geared up and revved up their uh, civil disobedience in state houses across the country. Um, we're really pointing out the systemic inequality that exists uh, in our country, and it doesn't just exist in education. It's across systems, and there's connection between all of it, right? And so when this nation got tough on crime uh, and had zero tolerance policies for crime, that transferred into our schools, adopting codes of conduct that were tough on students and had zero tolerance for student misbehavior. And what we found is the research shows over and over again is that zero tolerance policies don't work and over penalize students of color uh, for really minor infractions. So we had a parent who talked to us who had a first grader in a charter school where the, the practices are the most egregious. Uh, um, one first grader who was six years old was suspended 25 times in one school year. Like that, is, that doesn't that doesn't add up. Like, why is this a six-year-old student being suspended 25 times in one school year? This kid is missing out on so many days of school that you're now denying them uh, 
access to education. Uh, they're not learning. Uh, and so what we know works instead is if we think about restorative practice, if we think about a positive school climate, how are we thinking about surrounding students with counselors uh, that are there to support them as opposed to cops who are there to police them? Uh, when a student is having a bad day, we know our students come to school carrying baggage, uh, whether it's from their neighborhoods where there's high poverty and there's high crime, uh, what's the outlet that students have when they need a release? Uh, where can students go when they're not sure what to do or when they're having troubles at home? And oftentimes schools don't have uh, resources and support staff for students. We see uh, school districts spending their money to invest in scanners and to invest in metal detectors uh, and not spending that money to invest in a counselor and a support staff. Uh, we have one counselor per 700 students in some our schools here. How is that counselor helping kids get to college or helping them get through their problems? Uh, getting through life is hard as an adult. It's really hard as an adolescent and going through all these emotions and hormones. It's hard at every age, and we know kids need tools to help them to succeed. They need space to make mistakes, and they need space to learn and grow from their mistakes. And so we say counselors, not cops. We're saying give kids the space to be kids. Uh, we don't want them to end up in our criminal justice system because we know once they end up there, they end up locked in that system for good, and it's really hard to get out. We know that one suspension now can result uh, in your chances of dropping out of school uh, becomes like 50%. So we need to reverse the zero tolerance policies in our criminal justice system that has led to mass incarceration. We need to uh, adjust and are in the zero tolerance policies that are in our schools that have led to the over use of suspension uh, to students of color and LGBT youth. Uh, and students with disabilities. Uh, and so when we say counselors, not cops, we're thinking about how are we protecting students, how are we offering them a climate that's safe and that's supportive uh, where they can come and learn and grow and not be uh, judged or penalized or issued summonses and arrested in schools. Like that's how we want our, our schools to be. We want them to be safe places where kids can learn, thrive, and grow. Well, I think that, um, you know, I think it's a great thing that we do have this great uh, Journey for Justice Alliance and these great people who deal with um, that situation and it's and being that it affects um, all kids and, and, and maybe actually giving them a voice to speak out, to do, to let their voices be heard, and not only just that, but just build on um, the power that they do have. Um, so I think that um, it's great to know. And then, um, as Rasha said, um, through the conference this weekend, we'll be able to um, help others to actually become a part of this great, great family. Because I, I, I speak that strongly because we are family and that we can be able to do those things. So that's, that's great. Thank you all so much for sharing um, from your experience and expertise. I just, you know, um, can you everyone just go around again? How can people, if they want to learn more about your organization, just whether you, it's your website or your social media handles, just let folks know how to get a hold of you. Everyone, also all the necessary links and stuff are also in the description of the episode. And if anyone wants to jump in and just plug the conference this week real quick, that would be dope too. So um, you can learn more about the Journey for Justice Alliance. You can check us out on our website. It's um, 
the letter J, the number four, the letter JAlliance.com, and it will tell you more about the organization and how to become a member. We are taking single memberships or uh, individual memberships, and also we're um, always recruiting and looking for more uh, grassroots uh, member-based uh, organizations to come on board and be a part of J4J. Also, um, if you want to uh, find out more about uh, the conference, it's on the website. Also, you can just tap, t- uh, tap on the conference tab and find out how you can um, register. Registration is still open, but we will be closing it soon because it's this week, so, you know, if anybody um, wants to get to Chicago and, and join us, please join us in this fight for um, education equity. And our theme is We Choose we choose Education Equity. That's our theme for this conference. And then also, if you want to become one of our friends on Facebook, just look for us at Journey for Justice Alliance. And we uh, post a lot of information on there. We have a lot of our videos, a lot of our national town halls from Washington, D.C. to Detroit, um, a lot of our information that we do, uh, you know, just every day on our, our Facebook page, too. So we would love to have uh, more members become a part of the Know You Have a Home. We, like uh, Johnny said, we have a home, we have a family, and um, we, we, help, we not only assist in your local work, we try to create resources for you to be able to build the work that you do and make sure that we lift up that work. Yep, right, and we're at, we're, we're all supporters of, sorry, we're all supporters of Day for Day. Uh, if you're in New York and you want to get connected with AQE, Alliance for Quality Education, uh, we're at AQENY. Org or AQENY on all the social media platforms. So if you would like to contact with Pulse, our website is www.pulseandj.org. Um, and we have a Facebook page, just Pulse, um, Pulse, you perish in the platform local school education. And that's how you can get in touch with us. Thank you. Word. And you can uh, find the Alliance for Education online, on social media, uh, simply by looking for at the number four, Ed Justice. That's the number four, Ed Justice, for the Alliance for Educational Justice. Great. Thank you so much all again for joining me this evening. You guys, this has been another awesome conversation. I hope you all learned a lot. Definitely check out, make sure you check out all the links are in the description. And if you're in or near Chicago and you can make it before registration closed, definitely, you know, check out the conference. Um, and, and make sure you follow everyone's organizations and figure out how you can plug in wherever you are. Peace.